this morning. If you don't know me, I'm lead pastor Mike Sains, and uh, <clears throat> I welcome you to the Scandalous series. And uh, we've had a wonderful time already today. <clears throat> if you were with us in previous Scandalous messages, let me see your hand. Well, you're in for a real treat. You need to buckle your seatbelt. Let me go ahead and forewarn you, if you have children in with you today that are like 12 or under, you might want to check them into the crew. Um, I just forewarn you, we'll be very blunt and very straight um, and have some things that you may not want them to hear. So you have fair opportunity to uh, utilize the kids' services, the nurseries, the crew. So God bless you and thank you. I'm delighted to be preaching, I think, the fourth or the fifth. Uh, last week we talked about, uh, on Sunday, the scandal of success, and then on Wednesday we talked about the scandal of obedience. And today I want to take you to this sex scandal. And what's worse, it's an incestuous sex scandal. Wow! And what you need to know when you leave here today, uh, if you don't get anything else, is that God can work in the most unorthodox and the most difficult and dire circumstances. You're going to hear a story today that is out there, but it is in the Word of God, and so you need to hear it. But it's a story that we cringe to read, especially when we see who's involved. But I want to bring it to you, and I want you to understand it in this light, that no matter how bad it is in your life, and no matter how dire the circumstances are, and no matter how deep you may have sank into the mud, so to speak, into the muck and the mire, God is still able to work in the midst of dire and unorthodox and even understandable, by men's account, circumstances. His ways are beyond our ways and past finding out. That sounds easy to say and sort of easy to accept, but when we see a scandal like you're going to see this morning and then say, well, I don't know if God's in that. or, or I'm not saying that God authorized the scandal. I'm saying God took the scandal for what it was and decided to work His will anyway. And I, here's how you're going to apply it to your life. No matter what kind of junk you find yourself into, maybe it was last year, maybe it was last month or uh, a decade ago, I don't know. Maybe you're in the midst of it right now. It's a deep, dark, dire circumstance, and, and you loathe the thought of somebody finding out. I want to tell you that God can work even in the midst of unthinkable circumstances. So you got to keep that in the back of your mind as we travel through here. So God can. I want to tell you something. There's been times in my life where I thought God had lost me, that he didn't know where I was at, that, um, that I prayed and I couldn't feel God, that I asked and I couldn't find God, and that I just kind of felt like God just lost my address. Have you ever done that? And I remember a time, Kelly and I, you know, we graduated high school on June the 2nd of 1984 and got married on June the 30th of 1984, 28 days later, so I was really equipped and ready to go. I had a big job paying $4.64 an hour, and, uh, you know, we were off to live happily ever after and all this stuff. And uh, But, um, I, you know, nine months of marriage uh, later, and I took my wife to work one day, kissed her goodbye, and went and joined the Air Force. I'm not talking about I went and talked to the recruiter and kicked around the idea 
and molded over, you know, with my wife or anything like that. I'm talking about I took her to work. I went to see the recruiter, said, I've got four years of Army ROTC. Can I convert that? To, as a matter of fact, I went to join the Army, and the Army recruiter was gone lunch. The Air Force recruiter looked at me and said, you don't want to join the Army, man. You need to join a family service. I said, all right. So anyway, uh, nonetheless, I went on, and by the time I left, I had taken the ASVAB. I had taken all kind of other entry-level questions. He had scored the ASVAB. I had picked out a job. Are you with me? And I had set it in my mind that I would be an aircraft mechanic and et cetera, et cetera, and I would leave on the 29th day of December for the MEP Center in Atlanta. Now, I'm not saying that I asked God about it or that I got his approval or that I talked it over with Kelly, and those are some things that I should have done but I didn't do. I just sort of took matters in my own hand. Any of y'all ever took matters in your hand? I've done that, man. And you know what? There is a price to be paid. Amen? There is a price to be paid. So um, anyway, I've done that. And um, now, now don't get me wrong. God worked even through my stupidity. God had mercy on us even through my foolish ways when I took matters in my own hand and, and, and said, God, I'm going to do it this way since you don't obviously know where I'm at and anything about my situation and I need to make a little bit more money than I'm making and I need to be able to take care of my wife and all my kids that we plan to have and uh, I'm just going to go to one of the service. And so I did. Now, now, God worked through my foolishness and I thank God he directed my path. This comes to the place where we have to understand Romans 8 and 28 that all things do work together for the good of them that love God and are the called according to God's purpose. Now, that is real important. Those who love God and are the called according don't just live like hell and say, well, it's all going to work out. Some people have that mentality. But, you know, but, but listen, God worked with me and um, I want you to know that that there are times that, you know, like last week, Joseph, he's, he's estranged from his family for 20 years. He don't understand the situation, I'm sure. But in the end, when he revealed himself to his brothers, he said to his brothers, because they felt bad about selling him out, and, you know, they tried to kill him, they done all these things, they hated him. He said, you didn't send me here, but God sent me here before you. God sent me here to save our entire family alive because of this famine. In other words, God has great oversight. So whatever it is that you're in right now, I don't care how deep and how dark and how, how dire the circumstance, or even how unorthodox the circumstance, even so much that nobody would understand if they knew, I want to tell you something. God can still work in those dire circumstances. Amen. So, what, it's important for you to know that because when God can work in these, if you understand that, that you're in the most unimaginable circumstances, but yet God has a way of coming through in tough times. He has a wonderful record of last-minute come-throughs. I remember, how I many of you love football? Huh? Man, I, I do too. And I used to sit there, man, I'm biting my fingernails, and I'm saying, you know, Jeff Heron, he's the coach, and I'm at Wildcats game because I'm a Wildcat and all this, and, I'm like, man, I sure hope Coach's got a plan, you know. And I remember sitting in Lowndes County Stadium, and, you know, they're winning. And there's only a couple minutes left. I'm like, oh, man, we can't lose to these cats. I mean, just on and on. And all of a sudden, the coach come out with some plan. And lo and behold, we went up. Woo! Hallelujah. I had me a good old shouting fit. Are y'all with me? 
I told the man in front of me, you know, because they had a Lowndes County little golf cab riding around pulling the wildcat by his neck. And I had already told the man, I said, about the fourth quarter, the wildcat's going to rise up and pull that thing backwards. So what I'm saying is, God has a way, and it don't always work out in football, you understand it, but, um, but God has a way in some last-minute dire circumstances to come through like he did with a ram on Mount Moriah for Abraham instead of killing his son. God has a way of coming through, and uh, he has a history of coming through. So what does that do for you and I when we find ourselves in unfathomable circumstances? It helps us to stay calm even though there's only 10 seconds left on the clock. Hello? I mean, I, I remember being in the, in the Wildcat Stadium. I'm I sitting there, why does it always come down to this? I'm chewing my fingernails, and we got a minute and 37 seconds left, and we're down a touchdown. Are y'all hearing me? But we got the ball. Woo! And we can run the ball. And you know, it's something like that. But So we're in trouble. But what happens is this, if we know that God has a great record for last-minute comebacks, for last-minute showouts, then we can, we can take heart knowing that God has got it under control even though the clock is ticking. Well, praise the Lord. So um, it's hard to keep yourself together when everybody else is falling apart around you. Amen? And that's what great people, great leaders learn to hold it together when everybody else is losing it. So I want to share a story with you this morning to show you this point. And when I show you this story with you out of Genesis 38, it's going to be very blunt, very straightforward. You're going to enjoy the story, but I want you to do me a favor. I don't want you to pass judgment on this, this father-in-law, daughter-in-law. I don't want you to pass judgment on their sexual affair before you hear the whole thing. Because right off the cuff, you're going to say, did you say a father and a daughter-in-law? That's what I said, Judah and Tamar. And it's bad. I mean, it is unorthodox. It is uncalled for. It is just way out there. I mean, it is, it is way, way off the charts. But don't pass judgment too quick, and you'll find out why. So here's the deal. The story goes like this. Judah, let me tell you who Judah is, first of all. How many of you ever heard of this fellow named Jesus? Only three of you? Come on. How many of you ever heard of Jesus? I'm about to say, we better back up and teach something else this morning. So if you've heard of Jesus... He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Yeah. So we have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel, and he had 12 boys, and those become the 12 tribes or the heads of the tribes of Israel. Reuben and Dan and Gad and Naphtali and, and Asher and uh, Joseph and Benjamin. Are y'all with me? You get the picture. Judah was one of them. So Judah was one of the patriarch's boys, one of the heads of the tribes of Israel. And you mean to tell me he slept with his daughter-in-law? Yeah. So, so let me help you out before you get, it's going to get worse before it gets better, though, so y'all hold on. Judah married a Canaanite wife. Now, that's problematic to start with because all through the book uh, of the law, there was warnings about the Canaanites because of the sin and all that. But nonetheless, Judah married a Canaanite wife. I don't want to draw more into it than, than what it is. Well, the Bible says he married a Canaanite wife. She quickly became pregnant, and they had a boy and named him Ur. Um, and then she got pregnant again, and they had another boy, and they named him Onan. And then she got pregnant again, and they had another boy and named him Shelah. Y'all with me? Ur, Onan, and Shelah. Three boys. Um, you know, sons of Judah. And the Bible says that Judah got a wife for his oldest boy, Ur. 
and her name was Tamar. Now, it was a little different, uh, folks, than the way it is today because our children, you know, we chose who we got to marry, thank the Lord. But in those days, mom and daddy had a whole lot to do with it. And so, but anyway, Judah got a wife for her, his oldest boy, and uh, her name was Tamar. But the Bible says that that um, Ur done what was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. Ur done what was wicked in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord killed him. Now, I don't know what Ur done. I mean, I don't know what he did. But he ticked God off something serious. He just killed him. I mean, you felt like doing that to your children before, hadn't you? But you didn't do it. But he done something so bad that God said, that's it. Bam, he's out. And so Judah said to his younger son, his middle boy, Onan, he says, Onan, go in and sleep with Tamar, your brother's wife, and raise up children to his name. Now, you got to understand this. That was not wrong. That was the law according to Deuteronomy 25. I'm going to read it for you in just a moment. I'll go ahead now. If 25 and 5, if a brother's, if brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. Uh, the first son she bears shall carry on the name of the dead brother. Are you hearing me? Not the, not the current one, but the dead brother. The first boy she bears is to carry the, four, the, the dead brother's name. And there's a reason for this. Uh, that his name would not be blotted out of Israel. So you got to understand, in those days for a woman not to have a husband or a, a, a son, a child, then she had no legal standing. She had no social standing. She was virtually an outcast of society. So, so, so let me move on. So Ur did what was wicked, and the Lord killed him. And, and so Judah said to Onan, Go in unto your brother's wife, sleep with her. So it wasn't just a quick affair. He was to marry her, sleep with her. Then she would get pregnant, carry on Ur's name. And if they had another boy, they would carry on Onan's name. Y'all with me so far? But the Bible says that Onan knew that the child would not be his. And so whenever he slept with his brother's wife, he spilled his semen on the ground to keep from providing offspring for his brother. I told y'all. So he withdrew. Are you hearing me? And put his seed upon the ground. Because he, now I want to help you understand this a little bit more. And I know it's graphic, but just bear with me. It is the word of God, so you just got to deal with it. So, so here it is. He has spilled his seed upon the ground. Because he knew the child would not be his. Now think about this. There's another thing. Because he's supposed to be raising up um, a name for Tamar uh, and a name to Ur. And guess what? The firstborn son of Judah, the firstborn of all boys, would always get the double portion. They had the greater blessing. And perhaps he knew that, uh, you know what? This right here is going to cut me in half. If I raise up this, it's going to cut me in half. And so he spilled his seed upon the ground. And guess what? Next verse. What he did was wicked in the Lord's sight, so the Lord put him to death also. Now, if you'd have been hanging around in Genesis 38, if the Lord said, sweep your room, I would sweep it right now. Because it was one of them days, man, where God was really upset. And I don't know what Ur did, but he killed him. 
I know that Onan didn't do what he was supposed to do. We put his seed upon the ground instead of in the woman, and yes, God killed him. So, so, but Onan had his own reasons, but God said, now I want to fix something. I want to try to clear something up. Because churches have gone crazy trying to explain the sin of Onan. And there are people, there are churches, there are scholars who have said, and it's a great stretch, in fact, it's not true. They said, God killed him because of masturbation. That is not the case. We don't find one place of, of that. Then there's another church, and I'll leave it nameless, but you'll know, that says God killed him because of the sin of birth control. And both of those, either extent or the other, is a misrepresentation of the truth. Clearly, God killed him, and I've read it everywhere you can read it. Trust me. I have dug through this and fleshed this thing out. God killed him because of disobedience. God said, raise up seed to your brother. He withdrew and ejaculated on the ground, and God killed him for it. It was not because of masturbation, and it was not because of birth control the primitive way. Well, I tried to tell you all. So Judah has one son left. His name is Shelah. And he implies to Tamar that he will allow her to marry Shelah when he becomes of age because he's a young boy right now. But, but So he just implies her. He lets her think that he's going to let her marry him because, listen, Tamar is a widow and she does not have any legal standing. She has no social standing. She has no economic backing. She has nothing without a name. Are y'all with me? So uh, it is extremely important that that law of Deuteronomy be fulfilled and that she have an heir. And it was Judah's place to make sure his boys, Ur was killed. Onan was supposed to take care. When Onan didn't do it, now it becomes Shelah's right to do it and obligation when he comes of age. However, Judah is worried now. Some scholars say that they thought God might kill him just like he did his other brothers. And for whatever reason, Judah does not give Shelah to Tamar. In the process of time, Judah's wife dies. You can read all this in chapter 38 of Genesis. Judah's wife, after a long time, Judah's wife died, the daughter of Shua. And when Judah had recovered from the grief, in other words, a period of time had gone by and he had recovered from the grief, um, he had a friend of his by the name of Hira, the Adullamite, and, and they decided to go down to Timnah to shear the sheep. Now, obviously, if he was going to go to the festive party of sheep shearing, he had somewhat overed the departure of his wife. Are you following me? Because you don't want to go be festive and jovial if your wife just died. At least most people don't. <laughs> there are some exceptions. But nonetheless, Judah, his wife has just, you know, she's died, and he's grieved, and he's mourned, and, and, and she's gone. But he says to Hira, let's go to Timnah and shear the sheep. Now, that was a festive time when they would shear the wool. They would get paid. So they got a little jingle. Are you with me? And sometimes you got a little jingle and you're ready to mingle. And, and anyway, so the Bible says that Tamar, Tamar noticed that Judah and Hira was on their way to Timnah. And she says, you know what? He ain't got no plans of letting me marry Shelah. He, he's going to let me remain, remain childless, nameless, unprovided for. See, he had already sent her back to her daddy's house. And he said, when Shayla's old enough, I'll let you guys get married. But he said, he's going off with a festive activity now. He's not going 
to do what he's supposed to do. He's not going to do what the Bible says he ought to do. So she decides now, like I did some time ago, to take matters into her own hands. Listen, if you're all for feminism and women's live, here's your scripture. If you're looking for one, I got one for you. So here it is. The Bible says that she took off her widow's clothes. Y'all with me? She took off her widow's clothes and she put on her dancing shoes, so to speak. Pole that or whatever, I don't know. But anyway, she put on a prostitute's garments. Amen. She, she put on her prostitute's garments, and the Bible says, now listen, I, I had some pictures, but I didn't know if I ought to share them because her, her whole top is uncovered. And, and what they did in a prostitute's way, they, they covered their face and uncovered everything else. In other words, we, y'all don't need to know who I am, but this is what I got. Hey, what you say? Yeah, this is what I got. So, so she's covered her face and, and veiled herself, but she's put on some very provocative clothing. It's a scandal. Yeah, it's a scandal. And uh, so she said, I know that Judah and Hiram is on their way uh, to, uh, to Timnah, and they're going to pass by Enneum. And so she went up there to the road, and she's dressed for business. And I don't know how provocative she stood or sat and all that, so I ain't going to try to act it out. But nonetheless, there she was. And the Bible says that, I want to get this right for you. So uh, um, the Bible says that he comes to her and he saw her and she had covered her face. And so he didn't know that it was his daughter-in-law. He, but not realizing it was his daughter-in-law, verse 16, he went over to the road beside her and he said, watch this, come now and let me sleep with you. What? Hey, man, we got the ancestor of Jesus soliciting the prostitute. Oh, my. What in the world? The wheels have fell off the wagon. I mean, he said, come down and let me sleep with you. What will you give me, she says, to sleep with you? Well, my goodness, we're trying to come to a deal now. What, what, what would you be willing to pay? And, uh, well, okay, what was he thinking? What was he doing? I know his wife had died. He's now been without her. He's lonely. He's got needs. All that stuff's playing into it. His emotions are high. Here's a beautiful woman, and she's halfway entertaining the business transaction. So, uh, but remember who he is? Judah. Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Remember his earthly lineage. It is scandalous. How could God ever use somebody like this after doing my How are we going to ever reconcile this? So anyway, Tamar says, what will you give me if I sleep with you? Judah said, I'll send you a young goat from my flock. Some expensive stuff. I'll send you a young goat from my flock. You got to understand that now. I don't guess they carried around a whole lot of money, but he's trying to barter a transaction. Obviously, he didn't have enough money on him. <laughs> yeah. So she said, you'll send me a goat? He said, yeah, I'll send you a goat if you let me sleep with you. And she says, well, how will I know you're going to send it? I mean, I'm doing this thing on credit. Hello? <laughs> now, I didn't write the book. I'm just trying to tell you. So will you give me something as a pledge until you send it, she asked. And he said, well, what pledge should I give you? 
So now he's letting, I mean, he said, well, just name your price. You know, whatever I got. I'm, I've told you I'll give you a goat. And she said, well, I got to have something until the goat gets here. If you want to sleep with me. So the woman, you know, she's kind of like the bank, man. She wants all the collateral. She said, I see you've got a, a signet. And then you, you also have a cord. Uh, and a staff. These are very personal items. Did you know something? In the in the ancient world, they didn't break out a driver's license and a social security card. They had a signet and a staff. The family cords. And so he took his entire identity. That's a whole other message. To give it all away for just a little bit of this. I told you to be straight. But we're, anyway, so he says, okay, your, your seal, your cord, your staff, your you know, everything that you got in your hand. I'm telling you, the woman is like BB&T, the bank. They want all you got if they give you this loan. So, anyway, so he slept with her. And he didn't do like his sons. He did not withdraw. Uh-uh. And she got pregnant. Oh, the fish was still swimming. She got pregnant. Are you hearing me? And and uh, so he goes back home and he tells Hiram, take a goat. Go back to Timna and find that shrine prostitute because I'm a man of my word. <laughs> Isn't it crazy how I, I done slept with this woman? I'm a man of my word. I'm going to go send this. You know. So he sends Hiram back to Timna and Hiram goes back and he can't find the girl. And he talks around. And he says, hey, where's the shrine prostitute that was here? They said, we ain't seen no shrine prostitute. So you know what Hiram said? I mean, uh, Judah said, he said, let her keep what she's got. In other words, all my identity and everything I am and all I represent, she can have it. How easily we'll sell everything we have, sometimes for just a little. A little fun. Anyway, let me move on. So uh, Judah hears something through the grapevine. And then somebody comes and outrightly tells him, you know what, Judah? Your daughter-in-law is pregnant. Ur is dead. God killed him. Onan is dead. God killed him. And she's not married to Shayla. You wouldn't give her to him to her. But somebody's been down there. And you know what? He, before he even thought, he said, bring her out here. And have her burned to death. Verse 24. Bring her out there and have her burned to death. I told you, you be careful real, you know, you can say a whole lot real quick and let your mouth overload your behind. Because she came out there ready to be burned to death. And she says to him, are you with me? Um, on the way out there, she says, as I'm being brought out, here's a message to my father-in-law. I am pregnant by the man who owns these. See if you recognize them, this seal, this cord, and this staff. So be careful how quick you are to judge and then realize that you might be right there with them. It reminds me of the New Testament when Jesus was teaching outside the temple and they brought him the woman. They come dragging her to him and said, we caught this woman in the very act of adultery. It doesn't get any plainer than that. And Jesus just began to write and say, and nobody knows what he wrote. It's the only time he ever wrote. Nobody knows what he wrote. But the Bible says all of a sudden, from greatest to the least, they heard the thud. I mean, he said, or they said, the law says she must be stoned. So what say you? 
And he began to write and stand. They began to drop their stones and they began to walk away because here's the deal. Probably some of those men had been with her. I don't know it. I'm just simply saying. He said, those who are without sin cast the first stone. Now listen, I'm not trying to rubber stamp what Judah did and what Tamar did. It was wrong. I'm trying to show you the depth of a situation, uh, how unorthodox it is, but yet in spite of it, no matter how deep and how wrong and how bad, God somehow still worked through it. You know why? He chose not to take Tamar and cast her away. He chose not to take Judah and cast him away. He chose to work within the confines of this situation in spite of it. You say, wow. You might not understand that until you need that kind of grace and mercy. So, now I'm not preaching the easy believism, easy gospel. They're going to pay the price for it, and you'll see that. But what you've got to understand is this. Tamar was on a quest for justice. If there's ever been a women's lib speech, this would be it. She knew that she legally had a right to a name. She legally had a right to have an heir. She was legally supposed to be given to Shayla to marry. She was supposed to take on Judah's name, if you will, or actually Ur, then Onan, then Shayla. But when he shirked his responsibility, she took matters in her own hand and done what she wanted to do. Wrong as it may be, and it was. God still worked through it. Now you say, now, now Pastor, I, I don't get that. Well, I don't either. But let me help you out with understanding a few things. Um, there's some more women and some more sex scandals i got to tell you about in the lineage of Jesus. And I'm not saying it's pretty. I'm just saying it's fact. Tamar, we see that one. It's bad. Now, let me read further about that. Uh, verse 26, Judah recognized the items, the cord, the signet, the seal. And he said, she is more righteous than I. That's confession right there. She is more righteous than I. You got to think, people have come gathered around. He's having to own it now. She's more righteous than I. He said, since I would not give her my son Shayla, and he did not sleep with her again. That's the difference in this passive religion. It says just do any old kind of thing, live like hell, it's all under grace. No. He understood that what he had done by trying to get her to sleep with him was wrong and what she did by going down there trying to entice him, that was wrong. They were both culpable. Are you, here? Are you with me? Say amen. But now what has happened has happened. Are you hearing me? What has happened has happened. And in this crazy, unorthodox way, she does get an heir. In this crazy and unorthodox way, Jesus on his earthly side comes down and descends through Judah. Crazy and unorthodox. And then we got another woman by the name of Rehob. She ran a, pro, a, a house of ill repute, uh, they say, in, in Laman's term, the whorehouse. And when, when Joshua and the children of Israel come to Jericho, which is the first fruit city, you remember that's when they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and they walked seven times around and the walls come down and all that stuff. And but, but they made friends, or actually before that had happened, they had gone to spy out the land. And while they were there to spy out the land, they went to this house of ill repute, and they stayed there. They spent the night there. Now, I know some of y'all are saying, now, wait a minute. Why in the world is these two men of God, Caleb and Joshua, they could have found a Motel 6 somewhere. 
or they could have found a Super 8, or they could have stayed in the country in the suites or whatever. Well, scholars say that if they had have stayed other places, it would have been very obvious. But any of the men passing through, you know how wicked men are, right? Come on, brothers, him. He said it wasn't out of the ordinary for them to stay here. Well, guess what they did? They shared the gospel message with her. And they said to her, you know what? You show kindness to us and don't let our secret out about what God's about to do to this whole town. If you will let down a scarlet cord, ooh, that's an Old Testament reference to the blood. If you will let down a scarlet cord out that loft that we stayed up in, we will tell all of our army, when you see that scarlet cord, don't touch that house. She lived on, alongside the wall there. Are you with me? Say amen. The Bible lets me know that Rahab and her family got saved. So then there's another one. I, I think of Ruth. How many of y'all know Ruth? Ruth was a Moabite woman that was married to one of Elimelech and Naomi's boys. That was Malon and Chilion. I don't remember which one. But they both died. And so did Elimelech in Moab. Well, Naomi comes back to Bethlehem, Judah. And uh, Orpha stayed over there with her tribe. But, but Ruth came out with the words and said, Entreat me not to leave. For where you go, I will go. Where you live, I'll live. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. And where you die, there I'll die also and be buried. Nothing shall separate me and thee. But death. And so anyway, she comes back. And, and then we find a fellow by the name of Boaz. Huh? Boaz was a redeemer. A kinsman redeemer. In other words, just like uh, Onan had to, you know, do his all these things. Then if there was a family member, someone had the right to redeem her. And there was somebody that was a little bit closer kin than Boaz. So Boaz said to, about Ruth, this beautiful woman, first of all, he has the option to redeem you, to buy you back, to buy the land, to inherit all that. And uh, But if he don't do it, I'm going to. And Boaz redeemed her. Remember this. Boaz begat Obed, and Obed, Jesse, and Jesse, uh, David and David, Solomon, Solomon, Rehoboam. And, but there's another woman in this who was Solomon's mother. You remember who Solomon's mother was? Her name was Bathsheba. Beautiful. The scholars say a raging beauty of woman. And the Bible says King David and Israel was at war. And they were fighting. David, it ain't like it is today. Our soldiers go and our president stays home regardless who he is. They don't fight anymore. They send the troops. In those days, the king went with them. That's just how it was. And so, but the king had decided, I'm going to stay home this time. And while he's sitting on the roof of his house, I don't know if he's drinking lemonade or sweet tea or whatever, but he's here and just across, I mean, just the next house over, Bathsheba comes walking out. Ooh, child. It was shower time. And I mean, they, they had the showers up where the sun would get the water hot, you know. And, and man, she walked out there, and I don't know if it was like the Caress commercial, but I don't know how she was acting. But she was getting clean. She was taking her a shower. And David is over here, and my, my, the Spirit hit him, and it wasn't the Holy Ghost. Are you with me? He began to worship what the Lord had created. Y'all figure that out in a moment. I didn't say he was worshiping the creator. I said he began to worship what the Lord had created. His son, he just couldn't take his eyes off. And so he looked until he couldn't look no longer. And then he decided to call, hey, 
he went and got one of his servants and said, I want you to go over to Bathsheba's house and invite her to come here tonight for tea. So she came over. That thing somehow devolved around, and next thing you know, they're in the bed together. It's wrong. The country's at war. David should have been at war, but he's sleeping with Bathsheba. She gets up, says her goodbye, goes home. A few weeks pass. She writes a letter to David and says, I'm starting to put on a little weight. I don't know if it said that, but she said, I'm pregnant. I'm pregnant. David wrote a letter. He sent it to Joab, the military commander, and said, send Uriah home from the battle immediately. He's been such a great soldier for us. We need to give him some time off. He gets home and he reports to the king and says, Your Majesty, what, what, what is this? He says, our country is at war. And he says, no, but you're such a valiant warrior. You've done such an exceptional job. I, the king, am giving you leave. Come home. Enjoy the company of your wife. Enjoy her cooking. Enjoy your relationship with her. Uriah leaves out, and as he's leaving past the gate of the palace, something hits him, and he says, I can't go home and enjoy my wife. Her cooking and, and, and familial relationships and all, I cannot do that while my king and my country are at war. So he laid down by the gate of the palace and fell asleep. Next morning, someone come and told David, Your Majesty, Uriah the Hittite did not go home. He what? He did not go home. No, sir. He has lain at the king's gate all night long. Bring him up here. I want to talk to him. He said, What is this you've done? He says, Your Majesty, how can I go home and enjoy my wife and enjoy her cooking while my king and my country are at war? I cannot do that, Your Majesty. Can you imagine what he's feeling right now? So David sat down and wrote another letter, and he sealed it, and he gave it to Uriah. He said, take this back to Joab, your commander. It is urgent. Take it straightway. He takes it to him. Joab reads it. The letter reads this. In the hottest battle, set, set Uriah in the very forefront of the hottest battle. And when the battle is very hot, sound the retreat and have Israel pull back. And that's what they did. And the righteous Uriah, who would not go to his own house and be with his own wife and eat her cooking while the king had already been with his wife and had her cooking and all that, he dies on the battlefield while his country and king retreats. Is there anything right about that? Absolutely not. And I'm going to tell you something. The Lord spoke to a prophet by the name of Nathan. He said, you go to David and you tell him a story of a man who come to town. And rather than go getting any lamb from a farm or anywhere else, he only went to one man's house who only had one little lamb of his own. That's all the lamb he had. And he took that one and he slaughtered that one as a sacrifice. And David passed judgment real quick. He said, I'll tell you what I'll do to such a man. And he passed his judgment. And Nathan looked at him and said, you are that man. He said, God had given you everything you had. And all Uriah had was this beautiful wife by the name of Bathsheba. And he was fighting for you in this country. And you took his wife. And you slept with her. The sword will never depart from your house because of this. Listen to me. Here's the judgment of God. Here's the punishment of God. David is still the most beloved king to ever rule Israel. He's still a man after God's own heart. But he paid a heavy price to him. 
Later in David's life, his oldest or his, his son Amnon would rape his daughter Tamar. Are you with me? He would rape her. Her whole brother Absalom come to his daddy and wanted him to do something about it. But David wouldn't do nothing about it. You know why? Well, first of all, he don't want to put his own son to death. But secondly, he knows he's got his hand in the cookie jar too. He knows he's just as wicked. How can I kill my son for doing something? And I've already done this and killed a man. So, so be careful how quick you judge. That's what I'm telling you. Be careful how quick you judge. Absalom says, if daddy won't deal with it, I will. And at the sheep shearing festival, when Amnon had a little bit too much to drink, Absalom got his men together and said, strike him to the ground. And they ki he killed his own blood. And then it wasn't long that Absalom turned against David, slept with David's wives. I mean, he tried to take the king, uh, the kingship and wrestle the people from his dad. I'm telling you, the sword never departed his hand. War came and war came and he wanted to build the temple of God. And God said, you cannot build my temple. You're a man of blood. Let me go back. Out of that incestuous relationship, a child was born. He became very, very sick. David fell on his face and for seven days for seven days he wouldn't eat a bite of food he wouldn't drink water he cried out to God and he begged God to forgive him for seven days and uh, the child died and uh, David was frustrated but he went to the house of God and he began to worship and they didn't understand they said we don't understand you David that you you can go to the house of God now to worship. And he said, I'm not God. I can't bring him back again. But I can live in such a way to go where he's at. Let me tell you this. Psalm 51 tells me this. Here's the difference in what David did and what Judah did and what a lot of people are doing. A lot of people are just living like hell any kind of way. Anything goes. And they say, it's all under grace. God's got this. It's all going to work out where it's good. And that is not the truth. Without confession, without repentance, and turn away from it. The Bible says Judah slept with her no more. The Bible says David wrote Psalm 51 and said, Against thee, O God, and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, but restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and remove not my Holy Spirit from me. Purge me with hyssop that I might be clean. He said, If you'll help me, then I'll teach transgressors your ways. Stand with me if you will. So God has allowed some of you to be in the spot that you're in to help somebody else to teach, teach transgressors their ways. I know it's a scandal, a sex scandal it was, even an incestuous sex scandal. But listen, for you, it don't necessarily, it don't have to be a sex scandal. It can be anything. The deepest, darkest place in your life, that dire circumstance. And I want to tell you, if God can take Tamar and, and, and Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba and if he can fix all of these horrible relationships that went wrong and all that I mean it's bad but all of these women all four of them are in the lineage of Jesus Jesus Christ's heritage read it it's in Matthew so what I'm saying is just maybe just maybe if they confessed and God forgave them you could try it and whatever the deepest darkest dire circumstance of your life, the most unorthodox situation when your neighbor wouldn't understand and the person sitting beside you probably wouldn't understand and, and, and that horrible thing that you loathe, the, the thought of might get out. 
that God might just use it then. That God might just use it then and be able to deliver you. Because I want to remind you, only one sin would not be forgiven. Mankind, that's blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. Are you with me? Everything else God says, if you'll ask, if you'll repent, Let's pray. Father, if there's one here, if there's one here that's in a dire, dire circumstance, an unorthodox situation, something that's so out there, I want them to know that you still love them. I want them to know that you don't condone their actions, not a bit. Just like you, you didn't condone these that I mentioned today. But neither did you throw them away just because they messed up. I'm not trying to make provision, Lord, for our shortcomings and our failures. We gotta own it. We gotta face the music. Judah stood in the assembly. Those people around him and said, She is more righteous than I am, even though she played the heart. She done this thing. She's more righteous than me because of what I've done. The strongest place you will ever get in your in, in your Christian walk is when you can take responsibility for what you've done. You can look in the mirror and face the man looking back at you, the woman looking back at you and say, you know what? It is not the pastor's fault. It is not the counselor's fault. It, it is not the teacher's fault. It is my fault. I am where I am because of what I've done. That is the first step to recovery. I know it's scandalous. A scandal is something that causes great public outcry. Public outcry because of a perceived violation of law or, or morality. And for God to forgive you, it's scandalous because of whatever it might be. I don't know if it's, maybe you've embezzled money. Maybe you didn't pay your taxes. Maybe you got an illegitimate child. I don't know what it is. Scandalous as it is, if you turn it over to God, He'll forgive you. If you walk away from it, He'll walk with you. So God, let your word go forth today. Lord, if there's one in this place that says, Pastor, pray for me. I'm in a dire situation. It don't have to be a sex scam. It might be whatever. Would you lift your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm in a dire strait. Dire situation. It's just me and you looking around. Anybody else? How about you, sir, ma'am? Anybody? Anybody? God bless you. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for your honesty. God bless you, ma'am. Somebody else? God bless you. Several, several hands here. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for those right now that have these that have raised their hand in the middle of this scandalous situation. The world wouldn't understand, their family might not understand, law wouldn't understand, church don't understand. We serve a God that don't rubber stamp it, but he does understand frailty of humanity and who we are. And if we will lay it at the feet of Jesus and turn away from it and ask God for His grace and His mercy to walk in the light, you will truly forgive us and purge us from all unrighteousness and set us on the path to deliverance. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Would you lift your hands and just accept that with me right now?